Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, welcome along to a brand new writer's routine. This week on the show, we're chatting to Brian Christie. He worked as head of special investigations for National Geographic, uh, travelling around the world, uncovering crime, putting himself in danger. Uh, and he's brought out his debut fiction book. It's called In the Company of Killers. And they do say, write what you know. The book is about Tom Clay, who's a spy undercover as a wildlife reporter. Now, we chat about some of the, uh, the grand plans that he had for his writing that he hasn't exactly been able to pull off. Also, he tells us why you have to smell the paper even in the digital age. And we find out what reporting taught him about writing fiction. I called what I did as a reporter uh, results-oriented reporting because I tried to tell stories um, that were uh, covered important issues, wildlife trafficking, for example. Um, but I tried to tell them, including all the elements one would need uh, to stop the criminal enterprise I was going after. So I told you who the criminal was, what his product was. I told you who the corrupt government official uh, was who was enabling that. I, I probably told you what law he was violating and needed to be stronger. That formula yielded really good results. We got people put in jail, we got laws changed, we got um, we got Vatican City raided for its ivory shops, we got a pedophile put in jail or uh, defrocked. And I'm doing in fiction something we're calling impact fiction. And the idea is to not just write a thriller, not just write something that's entertaining, but, but take a lesson from George Orwell and tell stories that shed light on an important issue um, and tell them in a way that might make a difference. There is more on the way with Brian Christie in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes. Welcome along. Uh, it's Writer's Routine. This is the show where we take a look inside an author's working day. We comb through it to, to steal some some nuggets of knowledge that might help us out day to day. Uh, my name's Dan Simpson, and I think what with lockdown and wanderlust and not being able to go very far, I've been on a real uh, adventure bent recently. You might remember this. We had Alistair Humphreys who was, was all about doorstep adventures. He was on the show last year. Um, and I'm still on that like wave at the moment. So I guess today, it really has got my dream job. My dream job in theory 
I don't know whether I could do it in practice. That's the question. Uh, Brian Christie was head of special investigations for National Geographic, which, let's be honest, sounds like a made-up job, doesn't it? But really, it is a, it is a thing. He's been all around the world reporting and, and working on very secretive stuff, blowing the case wide open. Uh, you can hear all about them in the episode. Uh, and now he started writing books. His first was non-fiction. It was called The Lizard King. It was all about snake smuggling across the globe. And now his first novel is out. It's called In the Company of Killers, and it's about Tom Clay. We talk about how he works, when he works, where he works, what he's learned from a reporting schedule that's influenced his writing now. You can also hear about the huge travel and writing plans that he had. Very romantic they were too, and why they didn't quite work out, but he got pretty far. And we talk quite extensively about knife throwing as well. Hmm. Still not sure why. But it's interesting to hear about people's hobbies and passions. So that's on the way. First, we get into it as we always do with what Brian Christie sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. I have sort of an eclectic uh, office. I have a giant wasp nest. Uh, I have an elephant sculpture. I have some awards I've won and uh, paintings my wife has done uh, from Africa. And I have a few pet snakes uh, in my office, which are uh, uh, local to the United States. Uh, with the pet snakes, uh, Brian, you, you, I mean, you wrote the, uh, the Lizard King, this nonfiction book all about um, the trade of lizards and reptiles and creatures like this. Um, w- were you interested in snakes before that story? Oh, yeah. Ever since I was a little boy, when I, on my street, when I was a little kid, we used to trade turtles and snakes and uh, lizards for like, like normal children trade baseball cards in the United States. So uh, yeah, I've always, I'd always had a love for it. And um, that love sort of went away. Uh, You move into your teenage years and you, uh, you move on to sports and other things. And, uh, and then you become a professional and I suppressed um, most of the things that were kind of my childhood passions, including writing. I, I went to law school instead and, um, uh, uh, and, and eventually, um, well, my father, my father got very ill and it, it led me to uh, rethink um, what mattered to me. And, and once I did that, all sorts of things from my childhood started coming back. So, um, so that's, that led to the Lizard King book. If, if I were to um, to walk into your writing room, where would where would I find you at work? Have you got a big, you know, oaky desk? Are you someone that maybe likes to lounge back in a nice leather chair while you're typing away? Talk us through that situation, Brian. Gotcha. So I have an old farmhouse desk uh, table as a as my desk, and it's I I chose that because I don't uh, I like uh, not caring about my equipment um, to the extent. Uh, I can. I have a very good Aeron chair that I sit in because of back issues years ago, and it's been great for me. Um, and and otherwise, I'm I'm uh, I'm facing a wall. Uh, I've I've tried in different ways to um, to look out the window and and that sort of thing, but I find that I've closeted kind of life is pretty good for me. There was a there was a period. I had a John Steinbeck uh, period in my life where I thought, you know, I'm going to sell off everything and I'm going to buy a uh, motorhome or trailer 
and uh, drive around the country with my dog and and write from that. And that was maybe the worst experience, worst idea I've, I've ever had. Um, uh, as a how far did you get along in that idea, Brian? Too far, actually. Um, I bought the vehicle without testing whether I could write in a, uh, it was just a van with a camper top, pop-up top. Uh, I flew halfway across the country to meet a guy to buy his van. I drove I drove home. I parked it. Uh, turns out you weren't allowed to park that kind of vehicle where I lived. And uh, uh, I think I went on one adventure and, and uh, nearly got arrested. <clears throat> and, and that was the end of that excitement. <laughs> yeah, if the police get involved, I think that's a pretty smart warning. Um, so you've, you've spoken about the inspiration that's in your room. What about the, the, the practicalities of writing? Uh, with, with, with stuff that you've worked on in the past, it, it must take quite some serious logistics and, and planning. With your, your debut novel, is there a similar thing there? So I'm talking, you know, post-it notes with plot points. Is there a big whiteboard, a chart letting you know what's happening when? That's a great question in my case. And, and photographers, I worked for National Geographic for a long time, and photographers uh, that came to visit me would be aghast. Uh, uh, I live in a different place now, but I, ha- I tend to write on every surface uh, um, with a uh, dry erase marker. So I have and must have a giant uh, whiteboard, at least one, and uh, where I do plot points and character ideas. Um, uh, but I also have steel filing cabinets. I'm a big believer in paper files. I, the lawyer in me, um, we used to have a line at our law firm, you've got to smell the paper. And the, the, what that means is you, you have to look at original source documents, not secondary sources, primary sources. And, and I've kept that. So I have, I have all kinds of investigative reports and government documents in files to an overwhelming degree. And every one of those filing cabinets is written on with notes to myself, character ideas, things on the, while I'm on the phone and I can't find a pen, I can usually find a dry erase marker. So uh, it looks like when things are going well for me, my space looks like a TV uh, obsessed kind of (laughs) (laughs) investigator. Um, you seem through your work and history, you seem quite like quite a practical person getting down to the truth and the nitty gritty and all of that stuff. Um, how much do you care about the way your work looks on a screen while you are working on it? Are are you someone that, you know, takes time pouring over typefaces and, and softwares? Um, I, uh, I don't care at all about the font and, and, that sort of thing. I do, uh, to the extent, uh, I use, you know, just, uh, your standard word, um, for, um, for building the stories. Um, I do use a few software programs, um, to map, um, and, and diagram. Um, and I find that visually diagramming is really helpful for me. Um, I can, I can sweat over something for, days and days and then i'll remember that oh hey why don't you why don't you try to map that out and when i map things out it really opens things up for me and and uh in this book one of the great um 
one of the most important things I did both on a whiteboard and in this using the software uh, was to map things out and then stand back and look at it and say, okay, what if that line, uh, instead of connecting to, to this character, what if this character were connected uh, to someone else? Or um, to the extent the arrows have directions, what if you switch the direction so the, so the good guy became a bad guy? And that was really helpful too. What, what form does this mapping take? It's quite hard to do when you're in the States and I'm in the UK. Like I can't see it. Could you just try your best to try to describe how it looks? Sure. It's, I mean, it's a basic um, flowchart software, but I don't use, I don't follow any of the rules of flowcharting. I, I decide which symbols I want to use for characters. Um, uh, so I, so picture your basic picture uh, flowchart software where you, you know, you kind of have the rectangles and ovals and uh, choices of arrows and, um, I use a very basic symbology, but I do color code it. So uh, the red boxes will be criminals or bad guys. Um, the green boxes will be more on the hero side of things, or um, and um, then I'll shade in between. And as things develop, I might have in a wildlife-related story, I might have the rangers in all the in blue boxes and. Um, then I do sub boxes that identify their character traits and, and link them, um, by relationship, um, and, uh, and link them to organizations as well. I try to be disciplined about it. So it's, they, uh, uh they do, they are pretty much the same, uh, uh, five, at least five days a week. Uh, my wife and I get, wake up, we, um, we have three dogs. We take the dogs. Uh, I take the dogs out and um, then bring them back and feed them and make us coffee. My wife calls her mom every morning and we um, then we um, have some breakfast. And by the end of breakfast, I am my foot is kind of tapping uh, to get to my office. My we just moved to this, the house we're in now. Um, and we, um, outfitted the garage, uh, as my office. So I'm in a, uh, what used to be a, a garage. And, um, so there's not a lot of light here. Uh, unfortunately, there's just three smaller windows. Um, but it's a, and it's a big space. It also is our, is our gym, um, at least during COVID. And, um, so then I start, I open um, my laptop, it's connected to a big, bigger monitor and a separate keyboard. And I look at what I did um, the day before and I have, um, and I look at my chart and I, I decide what my scene is for the day and I start to write and, um, I let that ideally that flow. One of my favorite things about writing is it's the only time I can see my subconscious working the way it does. Uh, and to have things I don't, uh, I haven't thought of appear 
on the screen in front of me is such an exciting thing for me. And it makes me, um, it, it's really uplifting. Um, and it's very exciting for me. Um, so I'll do that. And I do that with Eva, the older of the three dogs insists that she join me in the, in the office. Uh, and she, sleeps in she she's a crate we don't close the door but she she likes to go in the crate and so i will work until eva says it is time to stop working and we have a bit of an odd routine where um that's usually uh about two o'clock in the afternoon and i don't usually take lunch um uh i throw knives um to um clear my head, I guess. And Eva is very insistent that that happens. So we do the exact same walk from my office, following the exact same route to a, to a big old stump, um, kind of on the edge of the woods. There's not many people around where we live. And, um, and, uh, it's like archery, but, but with, um, uh, competition knives and i'll do that can i oh, just brian sorry very quickly can i just uh, ask a question i can't let someone come on the show and say they chuck knives and kind of <laughs> let, let that go if that's all right um uh, I, I guess why so many people have different hobbies and different you know ways that they like to get in that zen state i guess um and, and you, you know you mentioned it's like archery with knives. I guess well, why is it not archery? Why have you landed on this particular hobby? Do you think? Yeah, I've thought about that uh, a lot um, because it. I mean, it's a, kind of a weird thing, and I don't really tell people. Although I'm telling you for some reason. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, so I can the couple of threads that I can I think motivate me to do it. Um. Uh, the biggest driver, and probably the reason I compared it to archery, is when I was a boy, uh, my father uh, exposed a kind of a secret life, his life before he had before family. Uh, one day, when he said, "I'm I'm going to order a bow and arrow," and I said, "We lived in a suburban neighborhood, and I I didn't know he knew anything about archery," and he he got this extraordinary bows, beautiful wood and, um, a long bow and he strung it and I tried to string it and I couldn't. Um, and when I, the closest I got, the, the string caught my finger. It was very <laughs> painful. Um, and we went out in the backyard and he, um, had picked up a few hay bales, uh, somewhere and the hay bales were in the backyard and he took a he practiced a little bit first, but he took a book of matches uh, and stuck them on the hay bale and went back to where we were shooting from and shot the book of matches. And I thought that was the most extraordinary thing. And he, that, he bought me a bow and um, insisted that if I wanted to shoot a bow or his bow that I needed to practice. And I practiced relentlessly. And then like, like these other things I talked to you about, eventually that goes away. And, uh, uh, years later, um, 
I started doing some martial arts, the Filipino martial arts, which are knife-related, um, Pekiti Tertia um, styles, um, weapons-oriented, and one of the things is knives. And and uh, um, I always wanted to throw knives, so I I um, got a few and and began chucking them around and. Uh, uh, it's very difficult. Um, the style I throw is called no spin. So it's um, you, the knife, you have to be able to balance the knife and assess um, when to release the knife to have it flow through the air without spinning. So it's not like in the movies. And if you can do that, you can hit a target from from almost every distance, which, which is different from the kind of end over end throwing of knives where if you don't know the distance, you're, you're, you're not going to be able to make a stick. So it's, it's harder. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So there you go. You come to the podcast for writing tips you stay for advice on obscure techniques on how to throw a knife. Uh, more actual writing stuff in just a sec, don't worry. Uh, talking about advice, if you're looking for some writing advice during the week, you can get involved over on our Patreon page. We're chatting there about all sorts of stuff, sharing tips with each other. I'm trying to make it a little bit of a writing social network. Um, we've been talking about fonts, about lockdown silver linings as well. And there's loads more to come at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. If you get involved, you can also get some merch. You can get bonus episodes as well. And there is a way for your book to sponsor the show. So if you've released something over the last year, which hasn't made much cut through because of everything, let me shout about it nice and loudly for you. To do that, uh, you need to help us out. Help us carry on bringing you these chats with as many authors as we can, as frequently as we can. And support the show at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it with Brian Christie then. Chat about his debut novel, In the Company of Killers. In this half, we talk about the book. We talk about the balance between Tom Clay as a journalist and as a spy. 
Also, you can hear how he gets into his characters. And we pick things up talking about the last little bits of his writing day. What does he want to get done when he actually sits down to work? If I can get a scene, you know, a three or four page pages into a, a scene, I'm very happy. Um, if I can come up with, and, and well before that, I spend weeks and weeks and probably I really mean months, um, walking around my office yelling to no one um, because I can't think of something that is compelling enough and important enough to spend time with. And, and, and when I do have that part of the equation, who can I imagine a character well enough to fit into that world? Um, do I know anyone that could serve as basis or, and I put my journalist hat on and I say, okay, what research is that going to involve? And I start to map that out and I map that, I've done that many times for for issues. I try to write, I called what I did as a reporter uh, results-oriented reporting because I tried to tell stories um, that were uh, covered important issues, wildlife trafficking, for example. Um, but I tried to tell them, including all the elements one would need uh, to stop the criminal enterprise I was going after. So I told you who the criminal was, what his product was. I told you who the corrupt government official uh, was who was enabling that. I, I probably told you what law he was violating and needed to be stronger um, and even involved um, uh, politicians and diplomats. So um, that and that formula yielded uh, on the National Geographic platform yielded really good results. We got people put in jail. We got laws changed. We got um, we got Vatican City raided for its ivory shops. We got a pedophile put in jail or uh, defrocked. And I'm doing in fiction something um, we're calling impact fiction. And the idea is to not just write a, I'm in the thriller genre, but not just write a thriller, not just write something that's entertaining, but, but take a lesson from George Orwell in particular and tell stories that shed light on an important issue um, and tell them in a way that might make a difference. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up. I wanted to, to ask you about why, why fiction, I guess, and, and why now? When you've had the, the kind of career that you've had, what is it that appeals to you about writing fiction when you've seen so much that is probably stranger than fiction itself? Why are you now in your room, walking your dogs, uh, dreaming up these ideas as opposed to getting out there and, and living it yourself? Well, so you're asking me a couple of questions. And um, so the, the, the last one first, I am still, I haven't hung, hung up my boots. I still believe that the best stories are, uh, you know, truth is stranger than fiction, um, but it doesn't have to be. You can go out and get the truth and put it uh, in your fiction. Um, and and I continue to make uh, field investigation part of my writing. Um, but the, the other sort of aspect of 
fiction is that you can get at um, sides of stories that you can't fit into a, a magazine article and you you can get into the interior of characters uh, in a way, of course, that you can't in nonfiction. Um, and then for me, um, again, you're absolutely right. I saw, I've seen, uh, uh, I've been really privileged to see uh, the world. I've been all over the world and seen, and focused on crime and seen all sorts of criminal activity. Um, and over time, I, I realized I was seeing, I was limited in the kinds of stories I could tell by the crimes, by the criminals, the criminals. So I had to, you know, you want a bad guy and you want, um, and you look into what he's been doing or she's been doing and you tell that story. Um, but while you're doing that, you're exposed to that guy's friend who is in a different industry or, um, and, and each of these is a siloed story because it's nonfiction. Um, but fiction, you can, you can make these people have a relationship and you can, and um, it's hard for me to describe for people, but I, um, every investigation is an effort to draw a line through a series of facts and the best stories um for me have resulted because I've spent time and enough time to eventually see lines that other people hadn't seen or I hadn't and I hadn't anticipated in fiction. My imagination can go even further and I can see lines between things that I think are important to connect, whether they are in fact uh, actually connected. And that, that means a lot to me and, and it really lets your imagination, um, have some fun now so the the debut the the debut novel is in the company of killers with with everything you've just told me in in mind brian uh, tell us about the moment that the the very first moment that the idea for this story came into your head how did how did tom clay kind of present himself to you well i've had the privilege of of working with some extraordinary guys um in the field and um uh, so Clay is sort of an amalgam of um, of, of some of the uh, harder core uh, people I've worked with. And I, I thought he would be a, um, I did some, I, I studied in Japan for a while and I've, I liked some of the old samurai movies and that sort of thing. And I liked the idea of, a, of the uh, Ronin, the, the, the wandering samurai. Um, I like that as a main character. I like, I got a lot of um, pushback years ago when I said I wanted to have a main character that was a journalist. Um, uh, the publishing establishment responded to me with, "There's not a you need more at stake for your protagonist. Journalists don't have enough at stake. They're just watchers. And um, of course, 20 years later, journalists are being murdered around the world um, for their work. And they have, we, we all know that we were wrong to under- value the the work of journalists um and, and it's one reason we are in the state we are in um because we haven't recognized that what journalists have at stake in doing their jobs um so i wanted that kind of i wanted a heroic um uh character um like that um 
and it um, a few things had had happened. I I I follow a little bit of what what's happening in the defense world and um, got to see um, uh, a number of mercenaries operating in Central Africa. There are a lot of um, valuable um, minerals, as you know, um, all the things that go into your smartphone and computers are, are mined there. And um, um, the companies that own them um, uh, are not always who you think they are. And, and I wanted to explore that. And uh, so I kind of put those two t- things together. And now lastly, just because I know you need to get off in a couple of minutes, uh, being a journalist for so long and now writing novels, what did, what did one teach you about the other? How, how, is your, how, how do you think journalism has influenced the way you wrote fiction? So I had a very famous uh, journalist warn me early on that if you don't stay in journalism too long, if you really do care about fiction, because you'll, you'll become too rigid. And um, uh, so that, that has always been in the back of my mind. Uh, but the thing that journalism gives you is a is a really rigorous discipline um, to to tell stories, uh, to tell the facts, the bones of a story, um, in a way that makes sense, and and that has has um, been invaluable. And and I have a very strong guide for what is realistic and what is not. And operating in the thriller genre, most thrillers. I think most people will agree, um, you know, seem unrealistic very quickly. And um, so journalism has really helped me keep my feet on the ground as a storyteller. And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Uh, Thank you so much to Brian Christie for coming on. You can get a copy of his book in the Company of Killers in the episode notes, wherever you're listening, and over at writersroutine.com as well. Next time out, we're chatting to fellow podcaster Rosie Wilby, who's released a brand new book based on her show of the same name. It's called The Breakup Monologues. Uh, it's a good, funny episode. She's a, she's a very good comedian, is Rosie. Um, yeah, I'm excited for you to hear that. That's happening next week on the show with Rosie Wilby. In the meantime, uh, help us out at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Give us a follow on Twitter uh, at writers pod there. You can get in touch writersroutine.com and uh, leave a review on Apple and make sure you're, you're for following us. They used to say subscribed. Now they say follow. I have to be correct with my terminology. Otherwise, what's the point? Give us a follow on Apple if that's how you listen. Uh, And yeah, and tell someone you know who you think could benefit from these tips. Let them know. Why don't you? It's nice to be nice. And I will see you next week with Rosie Wilby on Writer's Routine. Until then, bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 